Welcome, everybody, to the inaugural NeuroNoodle Dr. Laura Jansen's podcast. We are going to make a lot of mistakes on our first one. Hopefully, we iron them out. We're going to focus our our time, hopefully it'll be about 30 minutes tops, on neurofeedback, mental health, um, anything that we can do to help somebody's quali quality of life mentally. Uh, Dr. Laura, you have all the degrees. Briefly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why we should listen to you? <clears throat> well, uh, so yeah, I'm Dr. Laura Jansen. I'm a neuropsychologist. Um, it's a little, neuropsychology is a little bit different than psych, clinical psychology. Um, I, I was trained as a clinical psychologist, and uh, a lot of my background has to do with um, doing more what you'd think a traditional psychologist would do, the, the kind of sit on the couch and tell me about your childhood uh, psychotherapy. Um, so that type of psychology earlier in my career uh, was more kind of direct talking to people and helping them change their thinking so that their uh, moods would improve and their lives improved. So that's more probably what everyone else thinks about uh, when they think about psychology. Um, I did have some uh, training in doing some psych testing. So back, you know, earlier in the career, I did a lot of like Rorschach interpretation and uh, you know, IQ testing and those kind of things related to personality. So, so more what you think of as, as subjective kinds of things with psychology. Uh, later in the career, I ran into uh, one of my, uh, I have a couple of mentors, ran into a mentor uh, who he became my mentor, uh, Len Koziel. He, um, very prolific writer in neuropsychology, authored a lot of textbooks and several uh, neuropsych articles. Uh, ran to him here in my office. It just so happened he, we were um, kind of renting from the same uh, management and uh, got to be friends. And anyway, he uh, taught neuropsychology. I became a student and mentoree, and eventually he retired. I took took on a lot of his uh, practice. And so the long and short is that neuropsychology is more objective. It has to do with um, doing like traditional paper and pencil testing. You know, some of the IQ testing, but it, it's more geared toward uh, cognitive functioning. So uh, I test a lot of uh, ADHD clients, a lot of um, uh, academic uh, you know, clients, people with learning disorders, things like that. I have uh, dementia patients, so um, and other kind of brain disorder uh, neurocognitive disorders, traumatic brain injury, I can go on, but uh, so neuropsych has to do with more objective things. And so kind of at this point in my career, um, I'm, I'm kind of more geared in the objective things, um, it's kind of a full circle for me, because back when I went to Bradley as an undergraduate, I was a physics major. So uh, kind of been around a couple blocks here, but um, what neurofeedback, so now into that, neurofeedback is de definitely an objective way to assess brain functioning. So rather than with neuropsych, we're doing paper and pencil tests um, that are standardized. We're this, this way, we're kind of looking at brain functioning, electronic um, uh, means of reading uh, brain activity. So we're placing a cap on someone's head and we could essentially read the, the electricity and the power um, that translates into how, how the brain is functioning. We could take that uh, data, feed it through a computer, get an image, and we can actually, you know, uh, see, um, you know, what areas of people's brain are doing what they're supposed to, what areas are not. And it's a, you know, 20-minute procedure that can give us tons of information that uh, traditionally with neuropsych testing would take numerous hours, probably 12 hours of my life to come up with the same results that it would take uh, with this uh, neurofeedback uh, equipment to, to do an assessment. So, probably longer answer than you're looking for, but there's a lot of uh, kind of stops I made along the way to um, uh, get interested in neurofeedback. 
then I'm Pete Jansen's. Yes, we are related. Laura, Dr. Laura is my sister. I don't know if I'm her brother, but she is my sister. You introduced this to me several years ago, back when I was in the corporate world. And what I found fascinating after taking a few uh, uh, classes uh, and, and purchasing some of the equipment, uh, there is some objective data that can be used to, to show that people are getting well, better off than they were before. And I thought that was fascinating. Instead of subjectively having something that says, yeah, I feel better, but here, here are the numbers that show that, yes, you feel better, that's important, and here's the data to back it up. So I found that fascinating. Uh, I put my money where my mouth is and uh, opened up uh, NeuroNoodle and Vernon Hills under the direction of D Dr. Laura, and it's been a, a fascinating, uh, worthwhile endeavor, especially seeing these kids come in one way and coming out, you know, the other way with, uh, positively. So I'm, I'm very, very pleased with it. Um, so people don't want to hear about me. We, we have uh, Mrs. Carney has come on board, Heather, Heather Carney. Thank you, Mom. We're going to be uh, getting a mom's take on uh, neurofeedback with some questions of Dr. Laura. Uh, but before we get to her, I'm going to do a couple things, take care of some business. A uh, quick shout out to uh, Lori Russell Chapin. Do you know her, Laura? I do. Professor, uh, co-director for the Center for Collaborative, Collaborative Brain Research at Bradley University. You know her? Yeah, uh, I met her in 1990, I believe. So uh, we've known each other for a long time. She was uh, instructor at a program. I, I went to Bradley, a master's degree program, and she was the um, my instructor for numerous years there. And so she actually introduced me to biofeedback back in the day. So we're talking 30 years ago. Oh my goodness. But um, uh, yeah, back back then there's there's a place called Radio Shack. I don't know if they still have stores now, but back then. She brought to class a, uh, a, a little machine, probably the size of a cell phone now, and you can attach a wire from this. It was $9.99, I remember. You attach this machine to your finger, and it read um, the, the amount of sweat on your finger, and then it would give you a, a noise and would tell you basically, based on your sweat on your finger, whether you're anxious or not. So I, I don't know if she remembers that. I think I brought it up to her recently. She doesn't remember that at all, but uh, I certainly do. And I actually still have the gadget. I should pull it out. But um, yeah, that's how we were measuring uh, brain activity or, or stress anyway back 30 years ago with, with a little $10 gadget from Radio Shack. So basically we've come a long way. Well, we're gonna have to bring her, bring her on one, one day once we get our routine down. Mm -hmm. Speaking of routines, uh, don't forget to like us on the Apple Podcast, give us some loving stars. We prefer the five-star variety. Uh, or you can leave us some comments on our blog at NeuroNoodle. Uh, quick bit of news out there on neurofeedback. NASA, and we can spend a whole nother podcast on NASA and neurofeedback, but they got some pretty cool glasses. I'll put it in, in the post uh, when we put this online. Uh, but it's basically glasses that you wear that you can work on something and neurofeedback will, will uh, come into play uh, when drawing or writing something. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, quickly, a book you should know. This should be another person we should bring on, Dr. Laura. Seaburn Fisher. I read her book. Uh, so did you, obviously. Neurofeedback in the Treatment of Developmental Trauma, Calming the Fear-Driven Brain. I thought that was the easiest, smoothest textbook 
that I've read so far on neurofeedback and how growing up when you're young, your developmental years sets the course of action for the rest of your life and how neurofeedback can, can fix it. That's from a layman's terms. Uh, now getting along, Heather, are you still live out there? I'm here. D-Money? All right, D-Money. <laughs> from when the now, kids here. are doing, doing Zoom calls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, so I've done all the blabbing. I've ex We've explained who we are. Uh, you, please explain who you are. And our thoughts are, you're a mom of four great kids. You know so, a little bit about neurofeedback, whatever you're comfortable uh, sharing with what you know, brain scans and, and, and such. Uh, figure you could ask some mom questions to Dr. Laura. Uh, yeah, Heather, who the heck are you? Who the heck am I? Um, yeah, like you said, a mom of four uh, living in Chicago. Uh, our oldest is almost 17. Our youngest is just turned seven. And um, when my oldest was about six months old, I started going down um, sort of this holistic path. And I won't, you know, for various reasons. So I do a lot for my kids that are, um, I look for more things, you know, like a lot of holistic people do. They look for natural remedies, you know, changes in diet, uh, things like that. So when, um, you know, neural feedback was, I guess, brought to my attention maybe a couple of years ago, it was brought to me as a holistic treatment. And I was like, what? How, how could that, you know, how could that be? These kids are hooked, you know, hooked up to a machine. Um, and, and that's really what I found because um, it's, it's a way to, to, to treat things like ADHD or anxiety. We'll just say that because that's a huge topic right now for kids, right? You know, ADHD here all the time, especially in the world today, anxiety all the time. And I have a child with anxiety um, who's been treated. Um, and the going down the path of, you know, neurofeedback for me, not having to medicate kids is huge. So that's why I started going down this, this path because I was like, okay, cause I will not, you know, I don't want to medicate my kids for this. I want to find a more natural way to do it. And so that's why I think neurofeedback is a great um, resource for moms. I just think people need to know more about it because I just don't think that they know, they know enough about it. They, they hear, they might hear about it, but then they just don't know. <laughs> They don't know what to do with it, right? So I guess my first question to Laura would be, you know, I talk to moms all the time and, and you know, everyone's always comparing, you know, what are you doing for your kids for this? Or you hear, you know, you, you know, I hear about kids with ADHD all the time, but, um, you know, they're being medicated. And I say, well, you know, we, for one, I'll say for, you know, our child with anxiety, we do, um, we do neurofeedback, but I have a really hard time simplifying mm -hmm. what it is. How do, how do I describe, how would I... <clears throat> describe it to another mom in a really just mm -hmm. simple fashion do you know what yeah, I mean? that's a great question yeah i think that's the hardest part that's about the hardest part. this out here not you know not just for you but for me you know all of us trying to explain in a simplistic way what the heck are you doing in there and you got wires coming out of your head and what the heck is that so uh actually pete had just mentioned and i just learned about this 12 seconds ago pete had just mentioned nasa using neurofeedback so of course i have three screens here and i opened one of them and go what what's nasa doing with with uh neurofeedback. And I think here, this is a great <clears throat> explanation, only, you know, skimming something out of the corner of my eye just now. Apparently at NASA, <clears throat> they've developed these glasses. You put the glasses on and they, they wire the glasses to somehow to your system, whether they're measuring sweat or they're measuring heart rate or they're measuring brain functioning. So, so something physiologically is going on in your body that changes while you're wearing these glasses. So Apparently, and again, I don't know anything more, but <clears throat> what it looks like is the glasses um, 
get darker when you're not attending and they get lighter, just like sunglasses, the, the, you can actually see better when you're focused. So the individual, and they have a child here with these glasses on doing their homework. So the all the individual knows is they come in and they put these glasses on and when their brain is functioning properly, the, their vision changes, like they can actually see something. And then when, when they're out of, literally out of, you know, focus, attention, uh, low concentration, the, the glasses turn off. So you, the feedback or the information that you're getting from this equipment is, hey, your brain is, is working properly or, hey, it isn't. And there's motivation, you know, if, if the, you know, this child's trying to do their homework, I don't know, you know, it depends on the kids and their motivation toward homework. But if they're looking at something interesting to them, they want to see it. Like there's an intrinsic wish to see whatever they're trying to look at and not stare at black sunglasses or black, you know, blacked out vision. So the motivation is to, let me see what I'm supposed to see here. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a human individual who has vision. I don't want to sit in the dark. So I'm intrinsically motivated to see. And the, the glasses are connected, you know, to their um, physiological sy uh, system in giving the individual feedback. So it's an unconscious learning um, of when your, your brain is doing the right thing. And, you know, we can, we can get into what the right thing is and how do we know that, you know, that's kind of part of the assumption here is that the equipment is monitoring you for, you know, proper brain functioning in, in different areas of your brain. And all you need to know as the individual or the person receiving the, the training is that you're doing well when you can see and you're not doing what you need to do when you can't see. And it's not a conscious thing. It's not something, you know, here's a, the kid in the picture, I don't know. 10 years old, probably younger than that, eight years old, they don't know anything about changing their brain functioning. They just know, hey, I want to see or I don't want, you know, I, I want to sit in the dark. And um, so the, the computer kind of trains you unconsciously to do, do, uh, you know, do the thing that improves your brain functioning. Um, how else can I make that more clear? Because I, I know I kind of fuddled a little bit, but uh, what are the questions you have to, to help me explain that better? Well, let's, okay, let's go to, uh, I guess I would, I have, I figure we can talk about how like the process, you know, because it's really kind of pretty cool to see the process with the kids, you know, because it's they actually don't mind it at all. It's not invasive at all. Um, but I guess my first question would be because one of the hesitations for me was, you know, they're hooked up to this machine. You know, are they getting all this electricity in their head? And mm -hmm. and how is that holistic and EMFs and blah blah blah? And you set my mind at ease. Yeah. How, what did you tell me? <laughs> well, yeah, we're not adding anything to you. We're, we're reading the activity from your brain. So we, we're putting a cap on. It's a nylon cap. It has uh, several holes that uh, where um, we put gel into these sensors, and the sensors conduct the small bits of electricity that, that come out of your, your brain. And it's a millionth of a volt. So they're teeny. There, there's a little bit of you know energy coming from your brain, and we're trying to read it, just like if we're you know reading your temperature. We're, we're you know, taking the reading or we're trying to read the amount of sweat on your finger. It's a something we're receiving, not nothing that we're adding to your system. So, you know, your voltage changes in the different areas of your brain as different areas of your brain are working. So parts of your brain that aren't needed are, we'll say, sleeping and parts of your uh, brain that are, are needed for whatever you're trying to do. There's more electricity there, more functioning. And so we're just, you know, reading the patterns, you know, what parts are, are, are slower, what parts are faster and, and what should they be? You know, what should they be in a typical individual and how can we move them closer to, you know, where, where things should be. And, and so, yeah, we, we place a nylon cap on the head. The uh, technician puts a little saline gel, you know, salt-based gel into each of these sensors. We read the data, and that's how the computer knows what your brain's doing, and that's how it knows how to, um, and, you know, I'll program the computer, so to speak, to, um, you know, reward the, the areas we need to reward or inhibit the areas that need to, you know, uh, shut down or close down. But it's a very low 
amount of voltage, as you said. Yeah, like that, yeah. and again, yeah. Like if I put my hand on my head right now, there's voltage coming out of my right. head, touching my hand. Um, right. Especially if my hand was wet, I would be conducting that electricity. So there's nothing painful. There's you know. No. Right. Not, yeah. We're we're just, we're receiving info. Not not. There, there are some systems out there that you know provide stimulation and all that kind of stuff. And we, that's not us. We're we're not you know. Right. We're not putting anything into you. Um, we're we're just reading what's happening at the surface of your scalp. Yeah, the kids the kids don't don't feel anything don't feel and, and yeah, they right, feel like a little moisture from the gel. Right, from the saline. Yeah. It yeah. Any different than if you put hair gel on your hair and it's just a little moisture. So that made me feel um in the beginning of doing this because we've done this for two kids now. Um that was one of my concerns at first. I was like, "Oh my gosh, they're hooked up to this machine and it, how can that be, you know, healthy?" But that it you set my mind at ease, which is which is huge. Um so just the, in general, the process, and, and so then that may can, maybe can help somebody understand what happens a little better. So initially, like when I brought the kids in, they do, they get the brain, what do you call it, brain mapping or brain scan? Yeah, a scan, and, and you're right. So we're taking a picture of, of the functioning. Um, the, the computer translates the brainwave activity into a picture, and again, it tells you what areas are hot, what areas are cold, or you know, doing what they're supposed to or not, not, not working well. And um, it's an image that we pull up on the screen. And um, I can look at the patterns and kind of knowing neuroanatomy and neuropsychology and you know how the brain operates. I can look at the pattern and say, "Ooh, this looks like a pattern of someone with ADHD," or "This looks like a pattern of someone with anxiety," or "This, you know, have you?" I'll ask the question: "Have you had a traumatic brain injury?" Because it looks like you have got socked in the head by something. And so I, you know, we're so, but it's an exploratory thing. It's like, okay, that's a piece of data. Let me talk to the individual and kind of put the pieces together and figure out, you know, what's going on here. And then when we know, you know, uh, what areas are out of bounds, then we, again, I program the computer and say, okay, this area is, let's say ADHD. It, it's the, the, the front right of your brain is typically lit up or the top center of your brain is lit up um, on the scan. It'll show up in red on, because that's how we program the computer with the colors. Okay, when it's red, we want to cool it off. So then we'll put uh, more uh, focus on those areas. And the point is, maybe this is a part, a kind of a missing link here, that our brain moves in and out of normal all the time. A kid who has a, or adult who has ADHD isn't always in this um, uh, pattern of, of dysfunction. It, sometimes it's functioning just fine. Um, and so as we move in and out of normal with our brain functioning, the computer will catch when it has that normal moment and then will reward the individual by, say, these glasses, you know, in, in the NASA thing. The, the glasses will open up so you can see when your brain's doing the proper thing. And then again, it closes down when it goes back into that dysfunctional state. And so it, as the brain moves in and out of normal, we re reward, it's, it's reward-based learning, just like, you know, you teach a dog to sit, you tell them to sit and you give them a treat for sitting. That's the exact same psychology theories behind neural feedback. You get rewarded. Um, we get rewarded for going to work. We get rewarded for you know, hitting the right note when we're singing or playing guitar or uh, swinging a golf club or a baseball bat, there's a reward for doing it the right way. And that's the unconscious learning. You know, we're rewarded for riding a bike. A, we're not falling, but B, we're, we're driving down the road on the bike. And it's, un, you know, I keep you know trying to explain this part because it's, it's hard to explain that it's unconscious learning. Riding a bike is something we do implicitly without, we don't need to micromanage and, and you know, talk to ourselves while we're learning to ride a bike. We just do it. And how do you explain? Well, what does that mean? I don't know. There's no words to explain riding a bike. You know, I can give you a book on riding a bike, but that tells you nothing about riding a bike. It's something that it's an action that your body picks up through reward-based learning. And that is what neurofeedback is. It's not a conscious process. It's unconscious, much like riding a bike or learning an instrument or a sport. 
so you know when they when they start with the cap you get this readout and it doesn't take very long right. um they just have to keep their eyes closed which sometimes can be you know for a certain period of time and it's fascinating because i said you know there's two kids we had two kids you know that have had have this done and they had different issues and their brain pop their those areas you know were um i guess lit up in different in different places which right. is fascinating to right. me and like you said if it's adhd or um, you know, our, our, our eight-year-old with the anxiety, she was in a completely different place. So then they go and they, they have these sessions and, you know, I, it's, it's cool because they're what, you know, it's like, let's say they're watching, um, like you're saying reward-based. So it's like our daughter who was, who our most recent, um, visitor to the clinic, she would sit and watch a video and it would, uh, would it gray out yeah. and then it would brighten up when her brain yeah. Was doing what it needed to do. Yeah, the colors would fill in. So she, she picks out a cartoon that she's interested in or, or a, a movie or something. And you can, they call it grayscale, that um, when, when your brain is not where we want it yet, it, the movie play or cartoon plays gray. But then when the, when the uh, brain functioning goes more in the direction we want it to, then the color fills into the picture. So, um, so they're rewarded, so to speak, by the color filling in and, and, um, you know, that they're unconsciously kind of doing this, you know, to, to you know, have your eight-year-old explain to me, okay, so how did you get those colors to fill in? I'm sure I should say, I don't know. Because you know, And that's right. and that's the case, too. It's like you're not willing it to, and that's, that's what right. I had to that's understand. That's the, not I just, think that's what makes it the hardest thing. That, that's why we're not out there more. That's why neurofeedback is not as, you know, well-known is because it's hard to explain that this is not a conscious process. We're so, uh, uh, I want to say frontal lobe centric, which, which means everything we do is guided by our will, but that's not true. We, right, and I, I, that's yeah, why I think it might be easy. Yeah. easier for kids because the adults it's, I would think would be like willing it to change the color that's exactly right it's the truth and right. we, it's exa- we have to get through all this with the adults because they're trying to yeah talk themselves or say something to themselves or have some kind of catchphrase or whatever and the second they stop doing that they get better you know right they, you know try to tell them you know stop thinking how, you know how do you how do you have someone stop thinking or stop you know directing yourself with all these uh yeah, um directions yeah and, and I think just even seeing you know, our, my children, they would, they really would sit, they would sit there, they would be completely relaxed and they would just, you know, I mean, I remember our youngest, she would just be watching, a, she'd open a flower with her mind, you know, but, and, and that is completely, they're not willing, willing it to do it. It's a subconscious thing that's, the brain is figuring out what to do. Is that? That's right. Yeah. The brain. Right? Yeah. So you're kind of this passive observer, you know, especially when we're talking to adults about this, you're a passive observer. You sit in our lazy boy chair. We put sensors on you so we can you know, read the functioning. And I, I will say, just kind of be passive to be curious, you know, notice how your brain catches onto this because it will, whether you want it to or not. And, you know, I use the same example, you know, thousands of times that, you know, my car has trained me to put my seatbelt on before I consciously tell myself to put my seatbelt on. So my car will ding if I, you know, get, get down my, uh, you know, quarter of the, the block around my house, the car will ding at me if I don't have my seatbelt on. Um, and so I, I notice my hand moving to put my seatbelt on unconsciously before I say to myself, put your, and I, Dr. Laura, yes, you, you wear a seatbelt, you know, that's, that's a no brainer, but I guess my point is it's unconscious. Like I'm not willing myself, at least when I'm, when I'm initially start moving my hand toward the seatbelt. Um, and we do all sorts of things that way. And we, we don't give ourselves credit for that, for that unconscious learning. You know, those are our instincts. You know, we, we step away from fire before we tell ourselves to step away from fire. We put our foot on the brake before we register, hey, there's a big truck coming in our lane. We're doing it in an animal-type uh, re- reflexive way, and those um, reflexes come to us before our conscious, you know, and I'm getting to the, the 
the cognitive science behind this, but yeah, there's a delay of your reactions are gonna save you before your thoughts will. And that's the level of, of stuff we're getting after is the unconscious stuff, the instincts, the reflexes, the, the implicit learning. And you also gave me an analogy because I'm a visual person of um, braces and how, um, you, you know, they have they have to keep coming for these sessions because it's trying to keep, can you explain that a little bit? Like how? Sure, yeah, and, and I'll uh, disclose that I, I had those plastic Invisalign uh, braces for a while, actually for a long while. And what's <laughs> interesting to me about them is that um, they, in your treatment plan, they they give you the goal on the first day. So you put them in and they hurt like hell, you know, the first day because they're, they're trying to get you to the end zone on the first day. And the more you wear them, um, the, the easier it becomes to wear. Now I'm becoming Invisalign commercial. But but the point is that that's how, how we're uh, operating with the neural feedback is we're training you toward that goal on day one. So the corrections happen can can well happen on the first day things will move on the first day yeah we've noticed that yeah and it might you know and then people will get to session 10 and go well things aren't as dramatic as they were in the first day well well, no because things are we'll say easier because you you become accustomed to the training and but that's the point is that we're uh giving you the same training over and over that's how you learn you you know reward 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 eventually you don't need so much reward you just kind of do the thing and so people can very well feel better or different after one or so sessions um, because you're, you're training uh, on the first day to, to what the goal is. And, and the, the point is, it's the repetitive learning that gets it to stick. Um, and so that's, you know, and so we're getting into how, how long does this take? You know, it could be 10 sessions before we do another uh, rescan, and but we're exercising the same muscle 10 times. And yet, once you exercise the mu- same muscle or same uh, task 10 times, it, it will become easier toward the end and more challenging in the beginning. But we're, we're you know, definitely trying to train to you know, we're setting the first goal, um, you know, the bar is, is kind of high. It's going to feel like you're doing a lot of work. So the, you know, when people leave, you know, they might feel a little tired or they might even feel a little cranky because they're, they're working really hard to, um, you know, achieve the, the goal right from the beginning. Um, I know we're kind of coming to the end of the time. So I just have one one more question um, for you. But I know, like, let's say with our, with our daughter um, and, you know, we would, we would go and it's not painful at all. Like, you know, like Invisalign, it's just, it's, it's very, you know, the kids actually really love it. They don't mind coming in. It's, it's, and it's it's the calmest they are. It's great. But I, you know, along the way, um, we would base things on sort of behavior afterwards, you know, Mm -hmm. how is she afterwards? Was she ramped up? Did she, you know, and so what was good is that when we would tell you, you know, what was, what was going on after a treatment or, you know, in the, in the time between treatments, you're able to sort of tweak things mm-hmm. for the next session. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so that's, I kind of still go back to that braces analogy, you know, when you go in for a treatment, they're kind of tweaking the braces and they're mm-hmm. trying to get them back in, mm-hmm. in alignment. Is that, is that sort of yeah, that similar? That, yeah. So we, you know, there, there's all sorts of ways uh, to go after these things. Um, you know, at first we're, we're kind of, training toward the normal or toward the average, you know, individual of that age range. So we're, we're just trying to get them more like their peers. So that's kind of a statistical way of, of kind of doing the trainings. Uh, the other way of doing it is is kind of more, I don't want to say artistic, as much as individual-based. Like, okay, we, we trained you toward toward the average kid your age, and you're still kind of cranky when it's over. You're still a little irritable when it's over or something. And so what was, okay, well, you know, training toward average isn't the only way to get at this. How about we, we kind of listen to the symptoms and I know that irritability is a right hemisphere issue, so let's, you know, attack, 
you know, things by the symptom. And then we can, you know, kind of do a little bit of both kind of, you know, I think that's where the clinical piece comes in is kind of knowing, you know, where, where the midline is there between, you know, or just reading the symptoms, listening to you, the mom, and you're saying, yeah, they, they came home and, and they felt this way or that way. And, and we kind of adjust it as we go. The good news is, you know, if they, they do have, you know, they're going, you know, not quite in the right direction, we can stop doing it. We're, we're just not going to repeat it. And that's right. how, you know, if you stop repeating it, you're not going to learn it. Now let's go in this other way. And so we can get closer to, to what you're looking for. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could ask many more questions, but I'll leave it at that tonight. <laughs> oh, we're we're going to have many more podcasts. You're awesome, Heather. Um, let me sum up a couple of things. I jotted down some notes for the people who are listening for the first time. Uh, what to expect, depending on what we're treating, we'll just throw out ADHD because that's a broad brush that a lot of kids are getting painted with. But you come in and you fill out a symptom questionnaire. Dr. Laura, please stop me if I go off course. Uh, Mom fills out the symptom questionnaire. Okay, doctor looks at it, okay, great. We do a brain map. Uh, We put a cap on a a child's head. Uh, The cap is sensing electricity off of the head. The electricity goes through wires to a machine that has to amplify those signals because they're so small. That's the quote unquote machine that we're using. It just takes the energy that are in millions of volts, boosts it up to enough where it can show on a computer screen, goes to a laptop that runs software that takes the data off of the head and turns it into, for lack of a better word, a heat map, which uh, takes a picture and it compares the that picture to a, a no, normal database or a database of brains that don't have those symptoms and you have a comparison. Mm-hmm. And if it's say three standard deviations away from normal, you'll see red. If you don't see any deviation, you'll see green. Green is better than red. How am I doing, Dr. Laura? Right on, right on. And red okay. is about less than uh, putting someone in the um, like first percentile. So 99% of you know the, the people their age are not gonna have those symptoms. So it, it's, it's a, something that shows really off, off center. Because that's part of the things that parents want to see. I mean, Heather, you know more than anybody. Uh, they they don't want to just hear that the kids feel better. They want to see that they're getting oh, yeah. better. And you actually oh, get yeah. a you get a printout that confirms the 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 subjective questioning. Do you feel better? Okay, let me take a look at the data. Yep, data supports the uh, uh, the symptoms. Okay. Can so I add one? Get, can I can I uh, add something? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. And with the with the brain scan, when you are going through it with Dr. Laura, um, it to to me it's fascinating, and you are going to learn. You're going to learn a lot. Like as you go through it, you're going to learn a lot about your child, but you're also going to just learn. A, you're going to learn some crazy new things, you know, about the brain. So it, it's it's fascinating, and and you're correct. Like it's really nice to be able to see progress on a on the scan. So so just so Dr. Laura gets makes a diagnosis and then Dr. Laura will give a set a protocol of instructions to a technician to run some software to help relieve the dysregulation for lack of better terms, more energy or less energy in a part of the brain by giving up running some software that will give a positive reinforcer, for instance, watching Netflix. If the brain is doing what it needs to do, Netflix will play or color will show, or they'll play a video game, open up a flower. The brain wants to make that happen without even thinking about it. The the child doesn't have to think about it. The brain just does what it needs to do. You do it for a period of sessions. 
you verify the symptoms by asking the questions, hey, do you feel better? Or asking the mom and dad, hey, how is, how is the child doing? They seem to be doing better. Then Dr. Laura, midway through, you'll do another brain scan to show progress, right? How am I doing so far? Right on. Then there's a little bit more to go. You'll see more improvement at the beginning than you will at the end, but you will see improvement. It's more noticeable at the beginning. Is that correct, doctor? Um, I, I would say it's, it would, that would part would vary. Like, um, yeah, everyone's gonna be a little bit different in terms of that they might notice it right away or they might you know be six sessions in. So I, I think that part's variable. But I think the thing that me and Heather were talking about is just that we're, we're trying to correct things from day one. Like we're, it's not a ramping up kind of correction deal. It's we're you know if the you know from one to twenty uh, and twenty is our goal on, on you know in terms of what we need to change. We're going to start on twenty from day one. We're not going to slow you know start on one two three four and make it harder as you go. No, it's the, the challenge is going to be day one, and you might you know re receive the challenge and correct right away, or it might take you the, however many sessions to do it. But that part's individualized, I think. So then you'll finish your training. You will you will do uh, one last scan at the end to 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 verify the dysregulation is taken care of, verifying with the symptoms, and if the parent and the child say, "Hey, I feel better," and the data supports that they're feeling better, they're in, in essence finished. Is that right, Dr. Laura? The tr the training is over. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, if there's nothing else to correct, then 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 we're done. And, and the, the nice thing about that, I mean, and there's all sorts of variables, that, you know, situations that, that, that change the outcome of that. But but uh, once the training is over, then you're done. Like you don't come back. You know, once you learned how to whatever hit, hit the golf ball, you, you don't come back. You know, for you know 30 years of golf training, you're you're done. So um, it's an investment of you know time in the beginning, so it's a couple times a week, you know, to get the results. But um, once you know that period of time is over, we don't need to see you back. There's no um, necessarily tweaking or, or um, anything they have to manage the symptoms because they're they're locked in once you learn them and the other way to do it is to take a pill but the downside is after the pill is digested symptoms come back is that correct so in that situation you would have to keep going to the doctor for 30 years and there's no yeah, one to that necessarily right, right okay that's what that what that's what's keeping me in the business i think that that is the future i mean there's there's a bunch of different ways to feel better you know moms want to see all the best options especially without having to take take drugs. I think that's a, that's a big selling point. Um, and as, as time goes on and you develop, you'll have other issues. Other podcasts we'll talk about is like I played football. My brain got knocked around a little bit. I just got done doing some neurofeedback to correct some stuff that happened to me when I played 30 years ago. You know, it's an, it's a never ending process. Um, but the ending process is now because we're out of time. Does anybody have anything else to add you guys? Not today. Not I'm today. Sure. Okay. That was, all right. Please, please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Like, smash that like button. And we're always looking for feedback and how to get better. This is our first one. So we'll be looking for comments. If anybody has any other topics they'd like us to discuss or any segments we need to change, we are, there's no egos here. We just want people to feel better. Thanks, everybody, for their time. Thank you.